as much as as much as you should take some advice from experts i really believe that most of the answers that you're looking for you have within you some people can guide you with stuff like ip law yes you need to talk to devin okay for that stuff but there's other stuff of like you know how are you going to market how are you going to advertise how are you going to do outreach everyone does it differently mm. right and you have to figure out how you do it for yourself how do you want to work how do you want to be paid to be you because you don't want to leave a job like a corporate job only to do the exact same pattern at your business because you left that corporate job to, to be free. So if you're doing it the exact same way, then what are you doing? Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has uh, grown several businesses to seven and eight figure companies, as well as the CEO and founder of Miller IP Law. And today we have another great guest on the episode. It is Jeff Harry. And Jeff was a man after my own heart. So he did graduate and majored in engineering, which I'm an electrical engineer. So kudos to anybody that makes it in engineering. And uh, beyond that, he wanted to work as, uh, at least he thought he wanted to work in toy companies. And so that's what he kind of set up. He went and worked for a toy company only to find out that he, his dream was what he actually hated, didn't want to work for a toy company, and, or at least a big box toy company. Then he went and worked for a period of time with another company that uh, was doing STEM projects, kind of partnering with Lego, and he'll get into that a bit more. Taught a whole bunch of kids. I think he mentioned like 10,000 a year and over a million kids going through their STEM projects. Decided he still didn't love the workplace environment. And so he decided, let's go all in and do my own thing. And that's what leads him up to, up to today. So with that much of an intro, welcome on to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it, Devin. So without trying, I didn't try, tried to still, didn't steal too much of your thunder, but maybe if you want to give us a bit more details of uh, your journey and let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, I thought you caught, caught a, a great deal of it. Um, so quickly, I started writing toy companies when I was in fifth grade after watching the movie Big. Do you remember Big with Tom Hanks on the piano? It, it is a so classic. I actually who, who doesn't know Big? Yeah. It's, it's a classic. Who doesn't know Big, right? So I actually believe big, that if I went to watch there, Big. Yeah, you need to go watch Big like right now and then come back to this. Right. Um, but I really believed in fifth grade that if I went to FAO Schwartz and started dancing on the piano, I would meet the CEO of a company and then they would hire me on the spot. Like I, I had that in my mind. But so when that didn't happen, I started writing toy companies um, and I wrote them for like the next like five, seven years. And I was sending them like sometimes five letters a week. So I was spamming before spam was like a thing. Um, and then I eventually, yeah, yeah, it was a great, I started it. So you could blame me for all of it. Um, and so then in college, um, I majored in engineering because I was told by a toy company to go into engineering. Should never have listened to that toy company. They went out of business. Um, So they actually responded to some of your spam and told you that's what you should do. so, So, so because I wrote it on a word processor, like that's how old I am. I wrote it on a word processor. Um, I think a lot of companies thought I was an adult. They didn't realize I was a child writing them. 
because I would always like, it would be like three or four pages long with full of ideas. So, so yeah, I would get the, I would get the regular letter back that was like, thank you, but we're not interested at this time. And then one time someone wrote, uh, it was Cap Toys that made crossbows and catapults. And they wrote and they said, you should go into mechanical engineering. And I probably should have listened to them, but whatever I did. And um, uh, I went in there, was there for four years, obviously. And then I went to New York and applied to like hundreds of to toy companies there. And then eventually I got to work for one and it was just, as you said, it was horrible. There was no play, no kids, no fun, no toys to play with. I was like this, you know, and then I came to the Bay Area and worked for other toy companies like Sega. Same thing, no play, no fun. Um, and then I found this random organization that was teaching kids engineering with Lego and it only had seven people in it. And then I stayed with them for the next 15 years and we grew you, it to- you jumped, in, you jumped over something that I'll dive into just a bit deeper. So you did all this work. So you started at, you say fifth grade, writing all the letters, you got a whole bunch yeah. of rejections. Then you said, okay, I'm gonna go into engineering. That's what they told me to do. And you landed your dream job. How was it to get into your dream job only to find out it's not really your dream job? Was it soul it was crushing? So, it was, so, was it- like, Yeah, it was so disappointing because even how I got it, this was interesting. So writing those letters actually helped because I remember writing a letter to the Toys R Us Corporation, telling them to open up their toys in the stores because I was like, you need more experience in the stores. And I wrote that while I was in New York. And then that got me an interview with HR because I stood out. And because then I was with them, they were like, oh, well maybe you should work in our department that helps design toys. So they were like, there was, a, there was an avenue through Toys R Us that I, I was gonna go through. And I was like, oh, I'm here. Like I was living in Brooklyn, commuting to Paramus, New Jersey, which was horrible, like two hour drives. But I was like, whatever, this is gonna be great. And it was horrible. It was just the worst. I was working for Toys R Us International. Hmm. I thought I would be like, you know, doing a lot of really creative stuff, but I was just making reports that no one was ever gonna read. You know, and when I would bring up the fact that there was no fun here, they'd be like, ah, don't, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Fun's um, overrated. Who needs fun at a toy store? Who set? needs fun at a toy store um, or at like a toy company? And then here's the crazy part. If you want to get into the details, 9-11 happened. And mm -hmm. when 9-11 happened, I was in Paramus and I was like, what am I doing? I don't want to die in a cubicle. But mm -hmm. also I want to still play. So I left the Toys R Us international corporation and i i transferred to their store as because they were opening up the largest toy store in the world in mm. times square and i played with toys underneath a t-rex for the next year so i actually got to do what i wanted to do which was awesome and then i tried to unionize the store and that was a really bad idea and then you know so then i had to leave but you know so but then i was like okay i still want to work for a toy companies so I went to the Bay Area, worked for Sega. Remember Sega? They they were now they had turned from consoles to games, and it was just like that. That company was about to go out of business. Like it just was not having any fun whatsoever. Even though it was making some pretty dope games, and then I worked for some other organizations, but they're all so disappointing. So I remember just leaving and just having like a quarter life crisis where I was like, "What am I going to do with my life?" Like. I thought I had it, I did get it, and it was nothing that I wanted. 
Um, and that's when I found this organization off of Craigslist of all things. Play, these, these nerdy dudes were playing with Lego and they were teaching STEM through Lego when STEM wasn't even a thing. This was like 2004. Like STEM was not even a, a term that most people used at that time. It was very, you know, it was just like nerdy guys, right? Um, In other words, you, you did spamming before it was cool or not cool. And now you did STEM before it was cool or not cool. Yes. So, there you go, yeah, you're a trendsetter. It's all the nerdy things, right? And then when I was with that organization, we just, it, because there were no rules, there was just seven of us. So we we're just kind of making it up as we go along. And our boss at the time was just like, yeah, if you want to make more money, go to another state. And we were like, how do we do that? And he's like, I don't know, just figure it out. So we would just figure it out and we would pick states based off of whether they were fun states that we wanted to go to. No business plan, no analysis of the demographics. It was like Austin, Texas, yes. Uh, Boise, I don't know, no, not Boise yet. Um, New York, yes. Like we would just like pick random places that we just felt were cool and then found place, found people that also wanted to play. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward 15 years later, we were then teaching 100,000 kids a year. We had taught over a million kids. Um, we were then starting to partner with Lego and we were doing this Lego Kids Fest tour with them where they'd rent out like the Arizona Cardinals Stadium and we would run a section of their like event. Um, and it was just so random, but it was all because we were just messing around. Um, and then Fortune 500 companies started contacting us and asking us if we run team building events. And of course, we just said yes to everything, even though we had no idea what we were doing. Of course, right? yeah, buddy, we'll do it. Of course, we'll do it. How much do we charge? I don't know, an obscene amount of money. We'll just throw that number out. I remember saying to a tech company once, well, they were like, how much do you charge to build this huge thing for us? And I was like, Okay, I'm going to say this low number. No, I'm going to double it. No, I'm going to triple it. And then I said it to them and they just said yes. And I was like, man, I'm just doing that all the time. I'm just doing that all the time from now on. Like, whatever. You can always put that asterisk. Like, we'll change the budget for you. Um, and then while I was running a lot of these team building events for a lot of organizations, I realized they wanted creativity, collaboration, connection but they weren't willing to address any of like the bigger issues like office politics, um, toxicity in the workplace. Like in. why one, is there just one, one dude? One, well, go ahead. Before you get into the, now that we're bringing up today. So just because yeah. I, so your story is a fun one. And I think it's, it's interesting to hear the toy we did have, and you, I'll recommend to you and, and to the listeners. So episode mm -hmm. 16 that we had was at least gives me flashbacks to it. It was somebody that now did toy of the year. He, he did the toy of the year and it's for building sandcastles. So I recommend checking that out because it's kind of That's the same. Sweet. If you want to know anything about toys, he's a guy to know because he went and won toy of the year and he did, uh, he did sand kill, or sandcastle building kits. And then I didn't even realize you can do snow castles as well, which is something oh, I yeah. thought was really cool. Never thought about doing snow castles. I only thought about sandcastles. So just as a complete aside and nothing related other than it was two, this is the second episode that we've talked about toys, figured you, you might find the, the well, first. So I love that you said that because that also reminds me when we were growing this organization, I would bump into all of these other entrepreneurs that were just kind of making it up and they had no idea what they were doing but they were just winging it. I met a, a father who was helping his 12 year old kid make like sticker decals that you could peel off and put back on, on all these like Lego items and anything. 
And his kid was like an entrepreneur that started this at 10 and now was like on Shark Tank at 13. And I was like, dude, who are these people? So you just meet all these creative people that were kind of just making it up as they went along, right? And they, and they were, no one was an expert. We, they were just willing to try it out and take risks. As you said, you've done with like, with all of your businesses that you've started. That's what I loved about your story. Like, I'm just gonna try this, oh, let me just try that. Just like, just like an adventure, right? So, yeah. so I eventually created Rediscover Your Play because I wanted to address these bigger issues with teams like, why is your communication so bad? Why is there like a brilliant jerk in your midst who's like making a lot of money, but he's causing everyone else to quit? Why are people not dealing with like all the office politics and people walking on eggshells? Why are we not creating an inclusive work environment? Or like, why are people like always doubting themselves and should they address their inner critic? So I would just make these play workshops and I refer to it as play because it was like all experiential stuff where we would try to put people in someone else's shoes and then be like, all right, let's play this out and see what happens. So you, you so you, you went through all of the toy companies and you know, you went through everything from the big box, big name to the startup. And you said, Hey, mm -hmm. you know, this, this isn't me. I've got to do my own thing. So then you made the transition to where you're at now, which is rediscover play, right? And yeah. Rediscover, rediscover, your, sorry, play. rediscover your play. And you did that. You, and so you started that company and, you know, then you said you focused on more on let's help people with workplace environments, help them yeah. to, you know, in a sense, rediscover play, but deal with their issues by doing experiential learning. So how do you deal with the jerks at work or how do you deal with confrontation yeah. or the, you know, was it, so you finally made that jump. You're going to, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to start my own company. Was it all roses? Was it all gravy and was it all fun at the time was it ups and downs was it you know how did that go when you decided i'm gonna make this jump and do this oh it was it's it's the you know it's the roller coaster adventure there would be amazing days like i remember when i first created that i like i like you how you call it the jerks at work workshop we actually called it the how to deal with a-holes at work workshop but we would apply to all these major conferences like inbound and south by southwest and international conferences and and then some people said yes and we were like oh crap now we got to create this thing like we were just joking around about making it but now we got to make it so there were like those amazing days and then you know and then it kind of reminds me of when i did stand-up comedy you would have one great set and then you'd have 10 horrible sets mm. so it's the same thing with this you'd have one great win and then you'd get rejections for like the rest of the month you know, and it was just, that's just like how it kind of has played out. But because I had built something before, I always knew that, you know, I'm reaching out to a thousand people. I'm hoping I get 5% of those people to even connect back with me. Right. So, you know, the rejection part is, could be really disappointing. And especially those times when you had like a really big contract, you're like, this is it. This is going to be the one. And then it falls through. And then something else that you never thought was going to happen. You were like, that person's never going to talk to me again. And all of a sudden you get that gig. So like, it's just, it's just a roller coaster of emotions. And it's never, 
it's never linear, or at least that's how I've experienced it. And I'm going to, and I'll, and I always used to say it's a roller coaster. And then I had somebody, and I can't remember which episode, and I don't even remember if I made it into the episode or as I was talking with them before, but they said, you know, it's really not a roller coaster. What it is, is it's a whole amusement park. So they explain it. So you get to the amusement park and you get, you know, you find your parking, you're all excited. You go in to get your ticket and you get, you know, you get into the park and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, which ride to do first or what yeah. sounds like fun. Yeah. Then you get on the roller coaster and you go on a few roller coasters and you get a little sick and you have to take a break for a while and then you get excited again and you go do more and then you go get some corn dogs and then you go on more and you get sick again and you get you have to take a break and it's kind of the whole amusement and then you go run the bumper cars where you get banged around a whole bunch and i'm like you know that's a really good analogy like it's more of the whole amusement park as opposed to just a roller coaster right and there's also times when it's just super bored like you're sitting in line you're like waiting you're like when's something gonna happen I've been sending out all these emails. I've been calling all these people, but nothing's happening, right? You know, and then finally you get up to the front of the line. You're like, and then it all happens at the same time. Why is that happen? Like you get no business. And then all of a sudden you get multiple, um, you know, streams of business at the same time. And it's like all overwhelming. And then it comes down again. I just don't understand. I, it's a good question. And if I had the answer, I would know, I would tell you, but it's just, it's one of those things. I think everybody, everybody has their own or amusement park ex- experience, but everybody has to go through it as part of the startup. So now yeah. going diverging back to the topic, which is, so now you get to, you, you establish your company, you get it growing, you go through the amusement park, have the ups and downs, you get banged around a bit, you find the new customers. Next, so now looking out the next six to 12 months, where do you see things going? How do you see things going? And what's the, the trajectory you guys are on? Well, so usually I would have a clear six month to 12 month plan, but because COVID has like run a, you know, um, yeah, it's just, I try not to plan that far ahead. Um, usually, um, if I was to answer it, Um, You know, my goal now is um, I just applied to the TED Fellows program, so I'm hoping to get into that. I'm trying to speak at universities when they allow us to speak again at a lot of universities and uh, focus on getting on a lot of, um, or I'm going to be applying to a couple speakers bureaus and figuring out which one is the right fit on that front. And then from a, um, a company front, a lot of the businesses that I've worked with in the past, um, I'm reaching back out to them, especially uh, because I work with a lot of like um, creating inclusive anti-racist work, you know? Um, so that is where I'm gonna be focusing some of my time on. And toxicity in the workplace is always very popular. Uh, so we're gonna be, we're hoping, I'm collaborating with someone on this talk, uh, Gary Ware, We we're scheduled to speak at South by Southwest this year. So we're going to be speaking there next year. But in the meantime, we're going to be looking for a lot of virtual workshops to run. Um, and I'm going to be speaking re- most uh, coming up at the HR Virtual Summit, which apparently is the largest HR summit in the world virtually. So. Okay. So it sounds like plenty to keep you busy and, uh, even amidst COVID, you're, you're looking for different opportunities and ways to uh, pivot and adjust. So now to take that, um, 
switching just for a couple minutes and you know we we kind of and, and i talked to mention a little bit so we kind of have two different podcasts and for the audience that we've recently rolled out we have our normal podcast which is what we talk about go through the journey to different entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and we also do what's called an expert episode where we talk a little bit about have experts come on the show and we've had everything from marriage therapists to incubators to investors and, and different types but if we're going to now talk switch gears for just a few minutes talk a little bit about hr so we talked about you know the jerk problem or you want or however you phrased it um right you're to take you know if you're dealing with what is a toxic work environment maybe you have a whether it's your boss or a coworker or someone you just can't get along with what would be the best way that you would approach that or what would be the piece of advice you'd give someone yeah i it would be a combination of a few different things um first you'd have to figure out what is triggering you what is the exact thing that is triggering you about this individual are they talking too much um, at the meetings, are they taking up too much of the space? And then if let's say they were taking up too much of, they were just talking too much of meetings, right? You would work with some of your colleagues and be like, listen, we have to get each other's back. Um, I will speak up for you if you speak up for me. And we're going to organize around taking up just a little bit more space at the meeting. So that would be my first suggestion. This, that's a more roundabout suggestion. My second would be to actually confront the person directly because many times people don't realize that they're being jerks. They don't realize they're being toxic. So I would, con- if you feel comfortable enough and it's a colleague of yours, you would confront them in a, in a nice way, but you'd be like, you know, when you say this or when you actually deny what Denise is saying, I don't know what I don't know if what your goal is, but what it communicates to her and the rest of the team is that you don't want us to share. So then we don't feel like sharing. Is that your is that your intent? Oh, it's not your intent. Great. So you could try that. Now, if they give you pushback on that, then you could go to your boss and be like, "Hey, listen, there's a lot of people that are not enjoying. Let's we'll just pick a guy's name, Chad. Chad is not is not playing with the team." And you know this, you've known this because all the time everyone always knows this. And it's, and it's not only affecting me, but it's affecting the other team members. And some people have already left because of Chad. And thinking about the core values of your organization, is this what we want to promote? Are we promoting what Chad is doing? Or are we promoting what the team is doing? Because they even talk about this, Simon Sinek talks about this with the Navy SEALs. They will not take a brilliant jerk over the team, regardless of how talented strong, amazing that person is because it ruins the team dynamic. And the team dynamic is more important for the Navy SEALs than anything, right? So you could bring that up. And then finally, um, well, you have two different options. Finally, if this is not the right environment and the boss is like, hey, Chad's gonna be whoever they're gonna be, then you have to think about whether that's the right place for you to be. But then there's something else that you really have to address and that is the inner jerk, the inner critic that you have. And why is that person's feedback annoying you? Is it because partly you believe that? And then if you do, why is it that you believe that? And once you work out those issues and you're able to set certain boundaries, the next time Chad is a jerk to you, you can be like, Chad, don't speak to me that way. I don't tolerate that. I don't want you to speak to me that way ever again. And once you set that boundary, then all of a sudden Chad's not saying those things to you anymore. He can't try to bully you or he can't try to like trigger you in those ways and it also gives bravery to all of the other people that also have an issue with chad and then chad has a choice he either changes his behavior or he leaves 
So that that's how I would approach that. No, and I, I think that's a great insight. And you covered a lot of the questions I would have. So now I'm going to flip it and say, now if I'm the boss, if I'm the employer and I have the chads, do you simply fire every chad that comes along and you just get rid of them, as you said, with the Navy SEALs? Do you work with them and you say, Chad, you're being a jerk. Don't be, and I, oh, I feel bad for Chad now. We're picking on Chad, but we'll keep it up. But let's no, say, I think, you know, here are the I things think, that you're doing. You know, how much, how much leeway or how much do you work with people versus how much you're saying, hey, I've worked with you enough. If you're going to be a jerk, be a jerk somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, first you need to find out their intent. Are they willing to change or not? So you have to have that conversation with that person. And then if they, because a lot of times, again, they don't know it, right? And then, and then you have to be very clear and delineate what, what, changes in behavior you want to see and what are they going to be the metrics right like i'm going to be talking to all of your coworkers in the next month and i want their your relations with them to be slightly better not like amazingly better but slightly better and i've seen it done where i've seen someone that has been a jerk change their ways now it took a few years this doesn't take like it just doesn't happen overnight so you have to be patient enough or if you feel as if you're losing people because of this individual, then you have to make the hard choice of like, is it worth it? Because turnover is expensive. And you, if you're losing two or three people to keep this person, even if they're bringing in a lot of revenue for you, it's a wash or you might be losing more money. No, and I, and I think that's one that a lot of entrepreneurs honestly don't think, at least when you get started, Oh, turnover is not a big deal. We'll just find someone else. No, it's a lot of time and effort to find a new employee, to train. First of all, finding them is, takes a lot of effort. Interviewing them, doing out the job posting. Then you find them, then you bring them on, then you train them. Then it um, takes several months for them to be efficient. And then, you know, all of that above is, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort. So to avoid the chads and to avoid the jerks is something that I, I think a lot of times my advice, and I'm sure, I don't know if you agree, is to try and avoid the chads in the first place, right? Yep. Look for those individuals before you bring them on. You can't always weed them out, but a lot of times you're saying, this guy's not going to be, I don't think he's going to get along with everybody else. Then look for a, a candidate that you think fits a culture better. Yeah, I, lo I love the suggestion of hire slow, fire fast. Mm -hmm. And I remember Sherm recently did um, a study, that, you know, the HR organization, the national HR organization for the US, and they found that in the past five years, I think $223 billion have been lost due to turnover just based off of a toxic person. Mm. And that's only from reports of this. So it must be a higher number. So that turnover is costing so much money. So you have to look at it for yourself. What is happening with my organization? And can I reduce that turnover by dealing with this toxic person? No, absolutely. So now I'm going to ask one, and then I'll go to my last two questions I always ask, but I'll ask one question before that. So I've, I don't like to get, I don't get, I get, I love, I love LinkedIn. I don't usually get in conversations because I think that most of the time, it, then it kind of turns like Facebook and everybody argues and then it's not as fun yeah. of a platform, but I did have one, and I like, and I always, I'll diverge for a second. I think there's a difference between discussing and, er, and arguing or debating and arguing in the sense debating is, hey, we have difference of opinion. We're going to talk about the merits, see which one, you know, who can make the most cogent the argument or defense is not argument, yep. but defense of their position. And you try and come to the best conclusion. Arguing is just you fight and everybody ends up mad. So yeah. with that, I try and do more of a debate, but, or, you know, discussion, but I'll ask you the same question I've been talking about on LinkedIn. So and it, it diverges slightly, but kind of goes to HR. So if you're to take it, there's a growing, it feels like a growing thing as to ageism, right? As to whether I should hire someone that's 
overqualified. I'm worried about whether they're going to leave. They're not going to stick around because they're just waiting for a period of time that they're going to, until they can get a better job, right? So they got laid off and they're saying, hey, I've got to, got to pay the bills. I'm going to do it. And that's the fear of the employer. And on the other side, the employees are saying, hey, you should really hire the most talented person, the best person you can get a bang for a buck. So I thought I'd throw out like the question because I've been, I've been going back and forth. I have my opinion, but I'd be interested to see kind of from an HR kind of dealing with that. Should you go for the most talented person? Should you go for the person that sticks around the most? Should you go for the one that fits with the culture? Should age and or anything play? And I'm not saying age as far as, you know, if they're too old or too young, but if you think they're going to stick around or they're going to be a short term or how do you think on that one? I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If it's more like a contract and you're like, I need to get, I need to get into event management companies and I'm giving myself the next year and there's a super talented person that is already linked with all these people and I'm just hiring this person partly for their connections, but because they know how to work that system and they might be gone in six months, but I'm in now, sweet then fine, let's hire them for the short term. But if it's something of like, I'm trying to build this wing of my organization and I need someone that's gonna be there for the next few years, culture fit is like huge, which means I'm gonna be doing many more interviews. And to the point where most people will be like, just hire someone already. And I'll be like, no, I don't wanna hire someone already because I'd rather wait till I have the right person than hire someone, train them, do all that things and then get disappointed because there's also that other thing that a lot of people don't talk about is like the building of the connection with the person you've hired and you've trained and now they're connected and friends with others and then they leave that's super disappointing for everyone and then other people start thinking maybe i should leave too like i don't know if this is the right place for me um and then what's interesting going back to what you were saying about the arguing um this uh i i love this guy i work with him from time to time um, Eric Bailey um, wrote this book called Cure for Stupidity, and he always asks, are you, are you arguing to be right or are you having a discussion to understand? Like, if you're trying to understand someone, then, it, then it's not about being right or wrong. But like most of the time, we're trying to be right, right? <laughs> we just want to like hear ourselves talk, you know. But we if you want to prove that we're smarter than other people, make yourself yeah, you know. Like that you're gonna, but, but even if you have the most solid argument, I don't think I've ever recalled a time where someone was like, you know, you have a lot of good points. I'm wrong, you're right. You're like, that just does not happen. And if it does, let me know, because that has not happened to me. So, um, because people are arguing from emotion anyway. So, yeah. you know, I try, to, I try to discuss from an understanding standpoint, but I, I hop on my righteous horse a lot and I need to get off it. All right. Well, I think that was a fun conversation. There are so many more things we can hit on. We are reaching towards the end of the podcast, and I want to save time to go over the two questions I always asked. So as much yeah. as maybe we'll have to have you on in one of our expert episodes, and we'll dive into all the fun things of HR to do as a follow-on to this one. But for today, so let's jump to the two last questions. So the first question I always ask is, what is the worst business decision you ever made? I invested in a cafe and lost six figures of, of, of income. Yeah, it was horrible. And, and uh, I knew nothing about cafes. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, but I was thinking like, I want a restaurant. And the person that was running it 
gave a really great um, uh, uh, pitch. You know, they were going to provide room service for this entire complex. So I was thinking of all the revenue that you were going to, I was going to get. And it was just like, oh, we're going to, we would rent out the back space to make more money. And it was just, and we were selling blue bottle coffee when no one else was selling it. So it had all these things that I was like, oh, these are just guarantees. Um, and I just kept putting more and more money in just to get it to be open. And then finally it opened and within a year it closed. And I was like, what was I thinking? Like, that was just really bad. I having said that because of that, mm. I survived. And I was so happy that I survived that with my separate organization, I just started contacting large companies and you know and i remember for example i was watching a marvel movie and i saw the creative director of marvel on the um the scroll at the end and i was just like i'm just going to contact the person and see if i can work with them because i was like i just lost all this money so now i got to get some business and i don't care about failing because i can't fail worse than that so that definitely gave me a much more bold perspective of being like let's just do whatever you know that's awesome. No, I love that story. And that's, I like that you learned the lesson rather than just failed and had to pick yourself up. You're saying, now I'm not scared of failure. I failed. Let's do something fun and creative. Okay. Second question I, I asked. So talking to now someone that's just getting into startups, small businesses, just getting going, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I, as much as, as much as you should take some advice from experts, I really believe that most of the answers that you're looking for, you have within you. Some people can guide you with stuff like IP law. Yes, you need to talk to Devin, okay, for that stuff. But there's other stuff of like, you know, how are you going to market? How are you going to advertise? How are you going to do outreach? Everyone does it differently, mm -hmm. right? And you have to figure out how you do it for yourself. How do you want to work? How do you want to be paid to be you? Because you don't want to leave a job, like a corporate job, only to do the exact same pattern at your business because you left that corporate job to, to be free. So if you're doing it the exact same way, then what are you doing? So I would challenge you to figure out how do you want to work? How do you want to show up to work? And then, and then most importantly, listen to your curiosity. Listen to your inner child and what your inner, inner self is telling you and not always believe everyone else. There's a lot of people that are just making up as they go along and they're killing it because they're willing to be humble enough to just follow their curiosity. And when they don't know something, they'll ask and they only listen to the advice that resonates with them. But at no time are they trying to be somebody else. They're not trying to be Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, well, I got to do what Gary Vaynerchuk does. But if you actually listen to what he says, he goes, I'm doing what I like to do. Don't do what I do. Do what you want to do. And I think a lot of people need to hear that with any business person, Simon Sinek, Sean Aker, whoever it is that you resonate with. And just take the advice that resonates with you, but don't follow it to a T because you have to find your own journey. So figure out your own journey. No, I love that. And, and that's, I, it resonates very well with me. And that's part of, you know, I say I started Miller IP Law and it, 
it's always funny. You hire people, then they always want to go back to what they're used to. And I'm like, no, if I'm going to start Miller IP Law, I'm going to start it based on what I think, you know, what, where I want to have the company and how I want to do it. I'm going to set it up so that the things that I hated about the other companies, we're not doing that. Things that clients hate about other law firms, we're not going to do that. So I think to your point, there's a lot of things when you run a business, you're saying, you know, you do need to make money. And I, I, you know, you don't make money to your point, your cafe closes up. On the other hand, if you don't do it the way that, you know, marketing is a good one. If you do it, if you do it in a way that you do marketing, do you hate doing it and you, you despise yeah. it or you don't enjoy it? You're not going to do well at it. So find the things that work well for you and then build your company to do that in that direction. So I, I think there's a lot of ways. And, to- and I just add this last thing. It's just like add it also to what type of lifestyle you want right? You want six weeks of vacation? You're the boss. You can do whatever you want as long as you figure out how to cover the other weeks so that you can actually pay for that. Like figure out the lifestyle that you want to live and how that fits in with your business instead of the other way around where you just feel like you've got to make as much money as possible. No, I'm completely agree. Well, as people want, as we wrap up, people want to reach out to you. They want to use your services. They want to find out more about you. They want to get advice on HR, any or all of the above. What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, best way to reach me is rediscoveryourplay.com. And if you're ever bored and want to find funny videos, I make a lot of my funny videos um, on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all at the Twitter, all at the same handle. Jeff Harry plays J-E-F-F-H-A-R-R-Y-P-L-A-Y-S. And you can see all of my nerdiness there. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I, I've gone to rediscoverplay.com, but I haven't tried the Twitter and, and TikTok and whatnot, or uh, Instagram and TikTok. So I'll have to check that out. Well, thank you, Jeff, or Jeff, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are uh, listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd love to come on the show, we'd love to have you. Feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com and apply to be on the podcast. If you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you get notifications when all the new episodes come out. And lastly, if you need help with patents or trademarks, feel free to reach out to us. We're always here to help. Thank you again, Jeff. It's been a pleasure and look forward to seeing the next part of your journey. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Take care.